You know, I've been thinking a lot about life and how it's a game with very missable achievements. Well, depending on what you believe, there'll be an option for multiple playthroughs. But in this playthrough, are you playing as a paragon or a renegade? You know, I don't know how far I am through this playthrough yet, but I will say I've taken a lot of resources out of random unlocked crates. Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do list one week at a time. I'm your host, the lawful good character of the podcast, Sam Morris, and with me is my co-host, N7 Alliance Marine Commander Tessa Suela. Quesala! Andy is off again this week, so joining us in the third chair is friend of the podcast, the man who understands nothing about Gen X culture, Colby Waddell. What's up? I'm going to learn about 8-tracks today. I think I made that joke last time. (laughs) Still. uh. (laughs) This week, Tessa is welcomed to the Space Jam. Colby explains what a Mass Effect is, and I find out what happens when the devil takes a vacation from hell to star in a police procedural, which seems like a lateral move. So, Tessa, I was under the impression that everyone had a mandatory viewing of Space Jam. As children, uh, I definitely did. As a child in North Carolina, I think you are forced to watch Space Jam. Why have you not until now? So I, I didn't watch Space Jam as a child. I am a bad millennial, apparently. Apparently, it's part of the millennial handbook that you have to love Space Jam. And I just didn't see it. And part of it's because my family is very strange. I've talked on this podcast before about how my family is conservative, but also they like, like, if it's okay to watch things that they like, but if they're not interested in it, it's just a cultural blind spot. So I never saw Jurassic Park growing up. I did finally watch it in my early 20s. I never saw like Ferris Bueller or any of those movies that like families like watch together. Uh, Instead, I watched things like Labyrinth as a kid. So, you know, that probably tells you a lot about my childhood. But I was alive when Michael Jordan and the Bulls were a super team in in the 90s, but my family didn't watch basketball, so I just didn't know very much about what was going on. I was a, a very small child. In fact, I didn't actually know that much about him until I watched the miniseries last year, The Last Dance. Um, which was an incredible like documentary miniseries, and I, I really liked it, but I learned a lot about just basketball in the 90s just last year. So that that should tell you something about my childhood. I put off watching Space Jam for a long time because of this, because I thought, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia here. People love this movie. I've heard several quotes from it. My my best one of my best friends growing up used to always do the I want to stay home and make cookies with you quote um a lot growing up. So I kind of knew about that. But I, you know, I'm a big believer in you can't share in someone else's nostalgia, right? Like this idea that there are films out there that are just like packed full of that nostalgia. And if you miss the boat on them as a child, you can't go back. Like you can't, you can't go back and do that. So I was very nervous to watch this film because of that sort of mismatch here. I, again, from North Carolina, went to the University of North Carolina, which as you know, where Michael Jordan went. 
people around me have a very strong opinions about Space Jam uh, <laughs> in the positive direction, uh, which makes me an outlier because I don't like Space Jam that much. Oh, <laughs> a fun combo. I don't, I don't, as a, as a not millennial, I saw this in the theater as a teenager. I, it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's an extended Looney Tunes short. Like, <laughs> I, for, to me, personally, if you want to complain about this, um, you can, um, at Real Goose One, I think that's David. Yeah, go ahead and tell him how mad you are at me. <laughs> I, I think this is a good place to also point out that uh, our corrections department is at Portly Island Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so without the without nostalgia tinted glasses, Tessa. Space Jam. Good? Bad? In the middle? So I I was surprised at actually how much I liked this movie. A- again, because I was really not expecting to connect with it in the way that a lot of people do. Uh, just a quick, very brief one-sentence summary here. Space Jam is I'm I'm gonna do it. You can summarize Space Jam in one sentence. Space Jam is a nineteen. <laughs> Space Jam is a nineteen ninety six multimedia live action animated film in which Michael Jordan, who plays himself, must team up with the Looney Tunes. That's right, Bugs Bunny and the gang to win a basketball game against invading aliens from a theme park who want to enslave the Looney Tunes as stand up comedy. That is the plot of Looney Tunes. Uh, the Looney Tunes also play themselves. Yes, the Looney Tunes also <laughs> play themselves. Bugs appears in it as himself, Daffy Duck. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it is the that actually a lot of people play themselves in this movie, and I don't think I would have necessarily recognized them, uh, you know, most of them, uh, just by looking at them, just because, again, I wasn't plugged into basketball. But I did recognize some of them because of The Last Dance, which I want to talk about some more in a minute. But, like, Larry Bird is in this movie as himself. Charles Barkley. There's this really great scene where he's looking mournfully through the chain link fence at these girls playing a pickup game of basketball, which is just great. Sean Bradley, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bogues. I didn't know who Muggsy Bogues was, so that was a really fun conversation I got to have with Sam in the middle of that movie. I she invoked Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson. I don't know, Colby. Are you old enough that you see the starter jacket in your head? My dad had a Hornet starter jacket. Oh, um, yes. and my my yes. older my older sister had like a, a baby one when she was like five or six. So yeah, I think there's a picture of me somewhere with like the old Hugo Hornet um, mascot. Um, I think the the Hornets came up to Greensboro to play like a preseason game because um, Greensboro, for whatever reason, has a 21,000 seat arena <laughs> in the city. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm familiar with uh, with Grandma Ma and, and Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a lot of really. Uh, so the person I actually recognized playing himself was, of course, Bill Murray, which, again, should tell you something about my childhood. Bill Murray is also in this as himself. There's also a lot of really recognizable voice actors. Uh, Deep Bradley Baker is in this, Billy West, Danny DeVito, Maurice LaMarche. Uh, if you know anything about animation over the last 20 to 30 years, those are all big players in, in voice acting. And so I knew more about that side of it, like the pop culture side of it, than I did about the basketball side of it. 
this movie, again, I really wasn't expecting it. I didn't know Michael Jordan played himself in it. I just assumed they were all going to play characters. So I thought that sort of metafiction of the film was really interesting. I have a lot more nostalgia for Looney Tunes than I thought that I would. Like, watching it, I was really transported back to, you know, my childhood watching Roadrunner cartoons and Bugs Bunny cartoons and, you know, seeing I didn't watch as many Tweety Bird um, stuff, but Tweety Bird's like a big deal in, in Space Jam. And so I I really enjoyed that. Uh, I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. But, you know, Bugs Bunny is always going to be like this gender euphoric trickster character who just sort of comes in and steals the show. And, and I enjoyed that that element of it. I also thought that the mixture of live action and animation was really good for the 90s. Like, I was actually really impressed on how seamless that was. My question for both of you is, does this take place in the same universe as Who Framed Roger Rabbit? No. By the way, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, a movie I did not watch until very, very recently. I I don't believe it takes place in the same universe because I feel feel like isn't there like a portal situation going on in space jam to get michael jordan there yeah so the the wb area is in the center of the earth so it's it's not the same universe as who framed roger rabbit it's the same universe as kong versus godzilla exactly yes because because what they didn't show you i mean so this was 1996 so like this is before so right now, Kong is down there. He is like taken over for Bugs Bunny. He is now ruler of the, the Toonverse. Yeah, that's real. Until Disney buys Warner Brothers. And then, yes, they are, in fact, in the same universe. This is actually the, all of this Kong versus Godzilla Space Jam is just a way that the, the big wig movie producers trying to tell us that there is life at the center of the earth (laughs) it's all actually just conspiracy like center of the earth stuff i I like it it was all there the whole time and we took it as entertainment (laughs) the other thing i wanted to mention uh, before we moved on is the soundtrack to this film is i mean even just watching it and hearing it i could see why it went uh, six times it's certified as six times platinum which is like a huge thing for a movie soundtrack of course unfortunately the the big song from it is by r kelly and so there is that that i believe i can fly which earned him two grammy awards but there's a cover of uh, fly like an eagle by seal that's a cover yeah that's a cover oh no it's happening <laughs> <laughs> I wait, that was real. Have, that was I, real. I literally didn't I have know no prop for this, but but, <laughs> but Colby. <laughs> I'm looking up who Steve Miller is now. <laughs> <laughs> Fly like an eagle, the Joker, you know. Some people call me the space cowboy. No? Girls. Yeah. What's that one called? Um big big old Jedi liner. Um No? Wow. No. Keep on rocking me. No. That's Keep the song on rocking talking me, about. baby. Oh, okay. I'm sure if I heard them, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that song. Right, 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 right. I gotcha. The, also, like, what else was on there? Like, Technotronic was on there. Uh, Pump w- Up the Jam. Which I yeah. love how, I love how, like, oh, Pump Up the Jam's on something. Let's buy it again. Because, you know, I'm sure Jock Jams had come out by that point. And, like, it was on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle soundtrack. It was just, like. But yeah, also Basketball Jones by Barry White and Chris Rock. 
the Monstars anthem, because that's the team of aliens, the Monstars, because it's monsters and all stars all put together. Uh, that's by Be Real, Busta Rhymes, Coolio, LL Cool J, and the Method Man. Uh, I turned Hit him high goes like that song is incredible yeah yeah this is a really good soundtrack like i i was actually more impressed with the soundtrack than i almost was with anything else there was a there was a time uh, the 90s in the 90s were it there was a time where soundtracks there were some legit soundtracks i mean like the last two batman soundtracks are better than the movies which by the way you've got again seal kiss from a rose Hart kelly also did a song called gotham city did Prince do Batman '89 or? Yes, he did the whole thing. Gotcha. It was it was yeah. like um it was like when Jay Z did um the Great Gatsby soundtrack, except there was a lot more Prince on it. Like he had some features, but it was mostly just Prince. Like he does a song with Kim Basinger. Man, the '90s, I miss it. One day when I when I'll my next time on the podcast will be me talking about those Batman movies because I've never seen them. I mean, oh jeez, <laughs> oh man. Uh, the the 90s are like a black hole of pop culture for me for the most part because it's I was too young to have nostalgia for them and the stuff that my parents cared about was more like 70s and 80s stuff because they were too busy having kids in the 90s so yeah I mean like I oh man I just remember so I can't I have to say this because you're here thinking about uh one of my most fond Michael Jordan memories I don't like Michael Jordan so one of my most fond memories is the dream team because I got to root for him because he was on the team with everybody <laughs> I did like. I, I remember, so they, McDonald's had like a, a triple cheeseburger value meal. And so I, I ate a lot of those. By the way, Christian Leitner was on that team, Colby. Yes, he was. For, I mean, for one reason. I was, not, I was going to say for no reason, but there is one reason that Christian Leitner was on that team. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Colby, before I, yeah. I move on to the next part, of the last part of my discussion. Did you watch The Last Dance? Yes, I watched The Last Dance. I watched it um, live in the um, the uncensored version, which I think is the the way to watch that. that the way to watch The oh, Last yeah. Dance. Uh, so, like, did you remember? Like, again, I wasn't. I was a child, and I wasn't paying attention to basketball because it just wasn't around, like, on in my house. Was this something that you remembered being talked about in your house or that you remembered seeing on television? Like, what was your relationship to that, to Michael Jordan and that team? Yeah, that that's a, an interesting question for me because I feel like a lot of people my age have kind of a distanced sort of relationship with Michael Jordan that isn't the, that's just not how it is in North Carolina because, like, you remember in that first episode, there's like a 10-minute recruiting video for, <laughs> for University of North Carolina men's basketball. It's my favorite part of the documentary. I love it. Um, <laughs> but there is, like, there's a lot of talk about that 82 team, that 1982 team with him and James Worthy and Sam Perkins. Ridiculous that <laughs> that many names are on one college basketball team. You don't really see that anymore. Um, so I hear a lot about Michael, J Michael Jordan. I went to every home basketball game when I was a student at Carolina and I saw his name in the rafters. I have a weird sense of nostalgia for a time I was never in the 90s. So there's a point guard that plays for the Bulls now, Kobe White, and he is now in the starting lineup for the team. And they still play the same, like, intro music, and they, like, lower the lights. They do the same thing that they did when Michael Jordan was playing. And 
I got chills when he was first in the starting lineup and they said, at guard from North Carolina. I was like, oh, it's Michael Jordan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I there is a weird kind of nostalgia because just because of the place I live. I love that word, faux-stalgia. That's that's yeah. great. Because I think that that's true for a lot of people about the 90s. Um, a lot of younger people, I should say, about the 90s. But I don't know if I would have enjoyed Space Jam as much if I hadn't seen The Last Dance. Because I don't think I would have recognized as many people. And I, I actually didn't know that he had quit basketball to play baseball. And... Until I watched The Last Dance. Like, I had no idea any part of that. And uh, Sam made this great joke in the middle where uh, he said, Oh, yeah. We should, like, the Space Jam, like, it should be part of the machete cut of of Last Dance. Like, you should watch Last Dance all the way to the part where he quits basketball to play baseball, then watch Space Jam, (laughs) then watch the rest of Last Dance. Yeah, it just say it's part, just, just tell people it's, it's the next episode. Yeah, it's the next episode of, of The Last Dance is, is Space Jam. And I like I think that that's hilarious. Like I think that the way that this is like an alternate history version of how Michael Jordan quit basketball, played baseball for a while, and then went back to basketball. Like, the, I, and and I think The Last Dance does a really beautiful job of laying out like why that happened and what was going on with Michael Jordan at that time. But I also like this version. Like I also like the Space Jam version. Where he got back into basketball because Bugs Bunny begged him to play on a team with him. <laughs> Colby, do you remember that they actually he actually talks about his father dying in Space Jam? Yeah, he does. That's he I was does. I was blown. I'm like, you are comfortable with di- okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. and um, quit 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 to play baseball. That's the story we're going with for 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 that two year absence. That's what we're gonna say. Quit That's to play what baseball. we're gonna say. Yeah, quit okay. to play baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't get suspended for gambling or anything secretly. No. no. Well, and and that's no. in the film too. Uh, yeah, definitely. Because he's playing quit to play baseball. Well, by the way, <laughs> they have so many real players, but they had but Stern's not in the movie as commissioner. They hired somebody. Yeah, and like I they have the golfing in in the movie. Like he's playing golf with Bill Murray and Larry Bird and they gamble on it, right? They're like, "Okay, whoever wins gets dinner." Like there's a lot of like pop cultural like winking going on. Um, there's even a part where Bill Murray comes in and uh, Danny DeVito's he's voicing like the alien like villain. He's like, Dan Aykroyd is here. Like there's a lot of 90s pop culture going on in this. So I guess my recommendation would be if you have nostalgia or faux-stalgia for the 90s and somehow you have not seen Space Jam yet, which as Colby mentioned, most of you listening to this probably have seen it. But if you haven't for some reason... I actually really enjoyed it. If you like Looney Tunes, if you like the 90s, this is just such an odd movie that you probably will enjoy, but you probably won't be as invested in it as if you had watched it in your childhood or live in North Carolina, apparently. (laughs) Does that mean that we are all in on Space Jam A New Legacy? I was going to ask you that. How do you feel about a sequel, a reboot? I don't really know. I know it has LeBron. And I know they're they're toning down Lola's character because that was the problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think? I think that LeBron is a stronger actor than Michael Jordan, which props That's true. to Jordan. 
acting against nothing uh, for a large part of that movie is difficult, but I, he does not have the charisma that, that Braun has on screen. I'm going to watch this movie uh, no matter what. Um, I am a part of LeBron Hive, um, LeBron Goat Hive, uh, so we could talk about that offline. <laughs> but uh, or yeah, in a I'm minute. All in. <laughs> so uh, I think it's Space Jam: A New Legacy. I believe is the title of the of the new film, and it, it will be out on HBO and in theaters on July 16th. Thank you, HBO Max. Okay, Colby, as you know, I record this podcast with Tessa and Andy, so I'm going to say something. It's been over a year. I'm going to say something I've never been able to say on this podcast. Colby, let's talk about sports for a second. <laughs> let's. Um, so you just mentioned LeBron, who I also don't, much like Michael Jordan, I don't like him. I really liked Kobe, though. I just want you to know it's not an anti, like, super mega goat of all time thing. And I'm really torn because I don't want the Lakers to win another championship, even though they've always been my favorite team back since Magic. And the reason is, if he wins one more ring, you know what happens, right? Yep. We, we started waiting on six. <laughs> I, uh, uh, uh. It's always until he's got six. more rings than Kobe. He, no, I, I, will, I will fight anyone who says it's all about rings. No, I, no, I, I get that. Uh, and like Kobe's my namesake. So like I have a, a, a little bit affinity for, for Kobe. But yeah, that's Michael Jordan ruined basketball conversations. He ruined yep. sports conversations. And I watched it happen in real time. And it's, it's incredible that we can, we as a society, as a society that talks about sports, at least in the United States, cannot separate rings, championships, from the actual play on the court. The way that people talk about Russell Westbrook is ridiculous. Like, the man has averaged a triple-double for four seasons, and people talk about him like he's a scrub. Like, the dude is one of the greatest players ever. He's just probably never going to win a championship, and that's okay. Not everyone can win a championship. Uh, I'm not sure if you're keeping up with the Kwame Brown <laughs> situation that's been going on, but uh, Kwame Brown was the number one overall, overall pick in the 2001 season, I believe. He was straight out of high school, the second player, second or third player to be taken straight out of high school. And he just wasn't ready for the league when he got there. A lot of people call him a bust. I guess he's a bust. Well, I mean, uh, Garnett came out of high school too, right? Yeah. So Kobe yeah. and Garnett both did better. Yeah, they definitely both, both, both did, did better. And he was the third one. Right. Kwame Brown was the third one. And he had a 13-year career, but he only averaged six points. And everyone kind of clowns him because he wasn't as good <laughs> as LeBron James. They clowned him because he wasn't as good as Kobe Bryant, as Kevin Garnett, three of probably the top 20 players of all time. And Kwame, uh, among some not-so-great things that he said, but very funny things that he said, he said, if you make it to the NBA, you're not a bust. <laughs> like, you, If you make it to the NBA, you're one of the 300 best basketball players in the world. Uh, and I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Um, the big guy who came out of college the same year LeBron came out of high school, you know, played for Denver, played for the Knicks. One of, one of the greatest players to never win a ring as well. Uh, Mello. Not Mello. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Mello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, right? Like, there's, there's yeah, Tony and um, 
uh, Mike were talking about this on Pardon the Interruption the other day, the idea that we always said if you're a good player, you win a ring, and now we've ruined it. So Yeah, no, the Mellow is another one. But Mellow is, is an interesting case because he is one of the players like Dwight Howard that analytics ruined him. <laughs> um, like analytics almost ran him out of the game. Um, for those of you who don't know, back in we'll say like mid-2000s and earlier, basketball was played a lot differently until people realized, I don't know why it took them so long to realize, but they realized that three is 50% more than two. Uh, so if you only have to hit half as many three, I know it sounds wild to think about, but like three is 50% more than two, which is a lot over the yeah. course of an entire game. You only have to hit 33% of your shots from three if you hit 50% from two. So you only shoot analytics, say, quote-unquote analytics, say. I hate when people say that. You should only shoot layups and three-pointers. Mm-hmm. Mello operated in the mid-range. The mid-range like, jumper. Yeah, he would get to his spot and get it off, and he would get it off well, and he shot them well. But a bunch of coaches tried to make him into a player that he wasn't, and he almost got ran out of the league for it. I really like talking about this on the podcast because I I think that a lot of people who aren't involved with sports don't realize how much of, you know, pop culture sports is. Uh, And specifically, I want to ask you this question, and then we'll talk about some other stuff. I know. I I, I say as I'm wearing a a Durham (laughs) Bulls hat. Right. Um, Another movie I've never seen. (laughs) There you go. So I, I recently discovered that the NBA playoffs have begun because over the last year, time has no meaning anymore. You know, working from home, it just feels like it's hard to stop and watch something live. I remember I skipped school twice in my entire life, high school, middle school, elementary school. I skipped it twice. One was senior skip day and one was a Memorial Day that was a makeup snow day. I said, the mail's not running, the banks aren't open, and there's an NBA playoff day game. I am not expected to go to school. I skipped school to watch a playoff game. Now, again, I was surprised to learn that the playoffs began. And indeed, they began late this year, right? You know, we're usually pretty deep in at this point. Mm -hmm. Tell us, because if you don't watch a lot of sports at all, you may not realize there are as many storylines in sports as there are anything else you might watch, play, or listen to. And the NBA is a damn soap opera. (laughs) So give me your top Three storylines for this playoff. Okay, top three storylines. The Knicks are back in the playoffs. They won. Um, I'm not sure when this um when this podcast is going up, but the Knicks are back in the playoffs. They won a playoff game in the Garden, Madison Square Garden. Went wild. Uh, update. <laughs> update. They're already out. Probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably already out. Um, but yeah, the, the Knicks being back in the playoffs. The that fan base is ridiculous no one can ever call them bandwagoners <laughs> because they will never stop rooting for the knicks like the new jersey nets moved to brooklyn and nobody cared everyone in brooklyn they are still knicks fans yep. um, that was that was my team back in the 90s with with ewing and starks and uh xavier and um oakley i mean today i can still like that was my team yeah, the the Knicks were super fun in the '90s. Yeah, go New York, go New York, go. Um, All right, what else and, you got? Yeah, that's a big one. 
the Lakers having to battle through the playing games for the first time and everyone trying to duck them in the first round is a huge one. So this year in the NBA, they had a play-in tournament where the seventh, the seventh seed, so the seventh best team in the conference, um, through the tenth seed, had to play into a play-in, play, had to play through a play-in tournament to get to the actual playoffs. First time they ever did it. Um, some people said it was great. Some people didn't like it very much. I thought it was fine, but. LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two of the best players in the league, both played for the Lakers. They were hurt for a large part of the year, which means that their record started going down, down, down until they got to the seventh spot. They had to play in the playing tournament. Then all of a sudden, the top of the West decided that they didn't want to be at the top of the West because the seventh seed is going to play the two seed which means that you get a finally healthy LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the first round where you really don't want to play them for until the conference championship. Teams like the Nuggets tanked games to get away from the Lakers. And the Clippers, the Los Angeles Clippers, which is my third storyline, ducked the <laughs> tried to duck the Lakers, um, who are now up um, 2-1 in their series against the Suns, so it was probably a good move. But the Clippers... Oh, my favorite team to clown because the Clippers are the, <laughs> <laughs> they're the millhouse of the, of the NBA. <laughs> That's perfect. And that is so good. They oh. they w- didn't want to play the Lakers so bad <laughs> that they tanked themselves into the four spot to play the Mavericks, who got them up out the playoffs last year. Uh, so the Mavericks are mad because they. Because the Knicks, or not the Knicks, good lord, the Clippers pretty much said, uh, yeah, we don't want to play them, but yeah, we'll play you, and we'll beat y'all, and we'll just play the Lakers later. And now they are down in their series, and Luka is being ridiculous. Uh, Luka Doncic, who is a Slovenian, I believe, basketball player, who is a rising star. He's like 21, 22 years old, uh, but has been playing professional basketball for years and years overseas. Um, he's just picking the Clippers apart, and I'm excited to see what year 10 Luka looks like down the line. But those are my storylines. I have to ask you one more question. Quick, yeah. quick question. Quick answer. Does Brooklyn win? The whole thing? Yes. No. Defense isn't good enough. Oh, uh, poor, poor beard. I know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> de- uh, defense in the NBA nowadays, defense does still win championships, and the Lakers have the best defense in the league. I'm, t- I'm taking the Lakers. Right. Lakers and six in the finals against the Against the Sixers. I don't think the Nets are going to make it out. Oh, okay. All right. So because Andy's not here, it's not going to be a podcast if I don't ask somebody. So I'll ask you, Colby. You've been watching any anime lately? Yes, actually. What you got? Uh, I've been watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I I don't watch much anime at all, but I was told by a a certain Portly Island boy that feels y'all's complaints (laughs) that it was a... uh, it was a series worth checking out, so I've been checking it out, and I like it a lot. Cool. And that's been the anime segment for today's episode. Uh, <laughs> now, I have on here that I'm going to ask you about video games, but I think this is perfect. You literally only play NBA 2K, sometimes interrupted by FIFA. So why are you playing Mass Effect? What's up with that? So I was not an Xbox kid. I was a PlayStation kid. Uh, always been. I had the one growing up through the five now. 
so I literally never had a chance to play Mass Effect. And then one day, my timeline very recently on Twitter exploded, and I had to learn what a shepherd was. <laughs> uh, and um, after some coaxing and cajoling, I decided to pick up Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Quickly, in case you're somebody listening who has not heard of Mass Effect, I feel like if you haven't heard of Mass Effect or Space Jam or both, you've just gotten a <laughs> lot out of it. I mean, I, I, I feel like we've done a service. What is Mass Effect? Mass Effect is a video game, a RPG, action RPG, where there is... Oof, man, I did not come with a good one sentence. A, a one, one sentence, sentence description. Of Mass Effect. Yeah, it's a... You gotta say it, the galaxy from Aliens, which is something I'm going to get into in a bit. <laughs> so I have to ask, because I am a huge Mass Effect fan. I am now halfway through Mass Effect 2, the Legendary Edition, but I have played all three games before, and I love them so much. Uh, I'm, they're not perfect, but I love them. How did you set up your character? Like, what was your, what did, because you can pick from a couple of different backgrounds, a couple of different classes. Um, you can play male or female. Like, what was your, what was your method going into playing this game? That's a great question. I, so I've set up my shepherd. It's a male shepherd um, who's black with cornrows. Um, I love it. And uh, the I pick soldier as my class, and I um I think I pick war hero. That seemed like something closest to what I'd want to play. Um, the other stuff seemed sort of copy, <laughs> which we can get into m- again more later. But I I think that choosing to play as a black character in this world kind of unlocked a lot of very interesting sort of interactions with other characters. That I didn't notice before, especially um, Captain Anderson, who was the first human specter. So in the Mass Effect series, there is a council that kind of runs the entire Milky Way galaxy. That's a governing body. And they have this sort of, for lack of a better term, secret service of elite soldiers, elite agents who go out and they um take care of the stuff that the council needs taking care of for the good of the galaxy and anderson i'm not sure if he at least presents black to me um i'm not sure if it's one of the things where like um when i was a kid and i was watching arthur arthur the character the aardvark was also black just any character (laughs) that kind of had any sort of slight coding was black to me but him being a specter and having that taken away from him and then the next specter comes along who is also a black character me kind of opened up some stuff that i don't think was ever intentioned but was very interesting for me so let's let's talk about racism toward aliens which is a huge part of this game no matter how you play it i mean right it's there it's there how do you feel about it what have you tapped into here it's weird it's it's super weird how they how they decided to... So another big part of Mass Effect is the dichotomy between Paragon and Renegade, where Paragon is supposed to be like the the virtuous, always tell the truth, uh, lawful good <laughs> sort, sort of character, whereas uh, the, the Renegade is kind of the, on the chaotic side where you kind of do things for yourself and also apparently makes you a little bit racist against aliens. <laughs> 
but you encounter a lot of human characters that have a strong disdain for aliens. I'm not sure where or why it comes from. I think that the main one is, spoiler alert, by the way, I guess for, for Mass Effect. One of, one of the big ones is Ashley, who I decided um, to let die um, because <laughs> she was just incredibly racist um, and tried to flirt with me also, and I shut her down because she's incredibly racist. <laughs> And, and I I think that there's another way to show like human humanity's hesitancy towards aliens without going full bore racism because I, I think they say in the game it's something like 23 or 26 years since we first see aliens come into this world come into our world as humans so a lot of these characters have memories from before contact and after contact. So I think that there is something really interesting there to tap into that's not just, I don't trust those sneaky aliens. (laughs) If you play as a paragon, I do like that Shepard, like, has this evolving, like, oh, yeah, like, all of these human characters kind of distrust aliens, but then you recruit these aliens to be part of your crew, and that's sort of, like, starts, like, if you play Shepard in a certain way, you can start to kind of see, like, oh, well, they aren't that bad, like, which is kind of an odd, like, way of playing that game. Like, I I don't know how you felt about that or how you felt about the alien characters. Because then there's also alien characters that are racist against humans, which is really interesting. Yeah, one thing that's weird about the way that aliens treat humans is fascinating. When they talk about how human, human lives are so short to them. Shepard says that, at most, humans live, like, you're lucky if you hit 150, uh, which I think in real science is what they say is, like, the about the cap that humans can hit is about 150 years old, maybe a little bit less. And you have these other, these other races, these other life forms that live for centuries and centuries, and they say that humans live so impuls- impulsively and so rashly and so intensely because they have to. And that it's kind of incredible that humans have made it to this point where they have they are able to make contact with these other aliens, with these other races, without killing themselves first. Which I, I think is a optimistic view of humanity, but also a very hopeful one. And that's the one part of the game that as far as like the alien-human dichotomy that really resonated with me is there is so much hope for humanity that the writers put into it that we can get to that point uh, another huge spoiler for mass effect towards the end i let the council die because i did not like the council i feel like i i thought that they got in their bureaucracy got in the way of progress so i chose to get, get rid of them what I didn't realize is that would trigger humanity gets to lead everything uh, going forward, um, which is not what I intended whatsoever. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Colby, Colby learning real lessons about life. <laughs> Sometimes when you think you do the right thing. <laughs> well, that's what's so interesting about this game for me is that I do think sometimes the Paragon Renegade split, you can play more towards the middle and you can make decisions that are Paragon in the moment and decisions that are Renegade in the moment. So it's not 
necessarily that you have to choose one or another, but sometimes it can be very simplistic, right? Like I make either the evil choice to like kill everybody or I like work with cops. Like there, sometimes it can be like a little bit too black and white, but I do think this game does a really good job of highlighting unintended consequences or making you make impossible decisions. Um, Did you play the bring down the sky DLC? I did. Where you have to choose. It's like the Spider-Man choice where you have to choose between saving the hostages and letting the, the terrorist go or killing the terrorist or capturing the terrorist, but like the hostages die. Like, I just think that's a really interesting choice to be presented with in a video game, right? Like the idea of sometimes there are just impossible decisions, right? Yeah, when I do these sorts of RPGs, I try to make the decision that I think I would make. There are some times where I, where I like di- diverge and I and I choose something. Um, I choose something just so I can get some more money, so I can buy something cool, <laughs> which may be the decision that I would make in real life. Hopefully, um, this isn't used as evidence for something. <laughs> this podcast <laughs> is used as evidence <laughs> later on down the line. But for the most part, I think that the Paragon Renegade, I think, vastly kind of lines up. Um, bes- besides a-, a couple spots where I would. You know, maybe law enforcement isn't always good. Consider that for a second. I've heard that in Mass Effect 2, it's a little bit more nuanced, and I definitely plan on playing that soon. But I really liked Mass Effect. For a game made in 2007, I know it was probably remastered and touched up, but it, like, it controlled well. The combat seemed tough but fair. It never felt like the game was taking advantage of me, which is something that I don't like in video games where they um, they force you to do. I never felt forced to do something I didn't want to do. The Ludo narrative dissonance, if we want to use that word. I, you know, I, I Mass Effect 2 is much better because, yeah, I, I do tend to like align with the lawful good. And when playing Mass Effect, my thing is like, I want there to be an option where I say yes. But then I slap you or tell you you're a terrible person. That's what I want. Like, ultimately, the choices are like usually like, yeah, I guess I, that's what I would do. But I wouldn't be happy about it. And I'd tell you. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, <laughs> I think that's a great. Uh, they just need to have like one of the bumpers being the slap button. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's the, what would fix the, the game. slap button. I, 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 love I, it. I definitely yeah, hung I up on. <laughs> I definitely hung up on the council so many times because they were getting on my nerves. The council is very <laughs> annoying. I, I will have to say that as well. So really important question before I ask you if you recommend it or not. Who was your favorite character besides Shepard? I guess this is two questions. Who did you romance? Uh, not Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite character and why is it not Ashley? <laughs> I, I, I shut that down very quickly. Uh, I think my favorite character was actually rex i did his side quest to to get his his familiar familial armor back and i really think that the the warring alien that uh has to be in this world where they are dying and they need this cure for a disease i wasn't expecting that from this game and i really liked talking to rex even though i don't think game rex liked talking to me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so i really enjoyed that but uh i i romanced um liara liara mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm not sure what the other cha- what the other choices were I, I asked my friend if um if tally was a choice and she was like no i don't think you can so 
Well, I will say in the later games, there are more choices as far as romance goes. Um, so have fun with that. But also, uh, the Rex Genophage storyline will continue. So I, I'm excited to see what choices you make in that regard. But overall, recommend to people? Yeah, for sure recommend. I liked Mass Effect 1 a lot. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. And hearing the way people talk about Mass Effect 2 makes me really excited to start that game. I'm not sure when I will, um, because there's a little game called Ratchet and Clank coming out uh, very soon uh, <laughs> that I need to get my hands on because that is my favorite video game series of all time. So probably once to finish up Ratchet and Clank Rift, um, Rift Apart, I'll probably jump into Mass Effect 2. All right, throwing over to Sam. I finally convinced you to watch Lucifer. You're, it has an exclamation point. Oh, I'm sorry. I finally convinced you to watch Lucifer. Yes. Yes, you did. The first time that I had seen this character, Lucifer, was in his little brief, very short cameo during Crisis. So, you know, I, I always meant to go back and watch this probably about after the 50th time you harassed me about it over the last five years. Well, it only, st- yeah, it started in 2016. So yeah, the last five years. Lucifer, if you don't know, Colby, have you seen Lucifer? Do you know anything about it? I know a little bit about it. My fiance watched a couple episodes. She's very much into the procedural uh, sort sort of show, but um, I don't know too much about it except it's Lucifer solving Lucifer Morningstar solving crimes. I think. Yeah, Lucifer is a is an interesting show because it ran for three seasons on Fox from 2016 to 2018 as a police procedural. They canceled it. Netflix picked it up. It will ultimately run on Netflix for three seasons from 2019 to 2022, 2023. Who knows? It's not really a police procedural anymore, apparently. But Lucifer Morningstar, who's played by Tom Ellis, who is excellent. uh, This character is based on a character that Neil Gaiman created in his Sandman universe, uh, originally on Vertigo Comics. So this is a DC property, technically. What I thought was really interesting, this show was created by uh, Tom Capinos, and he's not here to make fun of me for talking about who made what, uh, but but Capinos got his start on Dawson's Creek and created the David Duchovny sex addict show Californication. And having seen a couple episodes of that show, I see it. This is that. And this is the great thing, too. The pilot was directed by Len Weissman who directed the first two Underworld movies and the last couple of Die Hard movies. The guy who directed the Lucifer pilot did the good Underworld movies and the bad Die Hard movies. <laughs> fascinating. Fascinating. I mentioned Tom Ellis. I, I just really like the people in this show. Uh, Lauren German is, I don't know how much of a newcomer she is. First time I saw her, she plays the detective, Detective Chloe, who was like a actor who was like in a hot tub time machine type movie and then became a detective so that's that's a really interesting thing db woodside is in it as the big bro angel uh amenadiel db woodside is great from 24 buffy lots of other stuff and then rachel harris who i've seen on lots of things but i saw her on suits uh plays as a, a psychologist i mean it's just great it's a it's a fun thing and yes you convinced me to watch it I'm not even going to try to pretend that I haven't seen this show several times. What is Lucifer about? So, Lucifer, the devil, 
the one who got thrown out of heaven for misbehaving and got put in charge of hell. Specifically, put in charge of punishment. He makes a big point about this in the series. He is not inherently evil. He misbehaved and was given a job to punish people who deserve it. That's He's very big on the finer points of this. But he has gotten tired of that role and just left hell. Just left. And so this is a few years, I think maybe three years later, where the show picks up. He's the owner of a big, fancy nightclub in L.A. He is uh, one of his his favorite demon, his 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 demon Friday, uh, Maze, is with him. And, you know, there's a couple of storylines that start in the pilot. The first one is we see Amenadiel has come back to try to get his brother to go back to hell. So that's running. And he gets involved in a murder. Uh, and, and he just decides to start helping out as a police consultant to this detective who he likes. And something weird starts to happen when he's around her. He's no longer invulnerable. So that's it. That's all the threads of the storyline basically involving Lucifer. There's there's Detective... Uh, sorry, his name is Dan, but Lucifer calls him Detective Douche. He's uh, Detective Chloe's ex. They have a kid together who's amazing. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Going, Lucifer goes to therapy, and the, the therapist is like he's talking in metaphors. That's that's it, because he, he tells everybody who he is, and nobody believes him. It's good stuff. That's interesting that they they really lock in on that uh, in-charge-of-punishment side of, of, of Lucifer. I have been, I guess for about half a year now, my friends started a Bible study group that we do every every week, just doing deep dives into different stories of the Bible, and the whatever you want to call him, the devil, Lucifer, the adversary, many names. Um, I the same way Michael Jordan ruined <laughs> ruined basketball <laughs> conversation. Who wrote um paradise or not, yeah paradise lost? Yeah, Milton ruined how we talk about the devil, <laughs> how we talk about the adversary or it's, Lucifer or whatever. It's so true. Yeah, <laughs> I, when I used to teach British literature in high school, I I we we would talk about that. Just the idea that that. Most people's picture of the devil is not, it's not biblical. It's Milton. Yeah. Yeah. It's all fanfic. Like, most, <laughs> most of like, it's weird that like the, um, the, <sighs> some of the most controversial parts of Christianity, um, it's mostly fanfic. It, it's, it's mostly stuff that was written, uh, hundreds of years and then put into the Bible, or thousands of years later and then put into the Bible. Paradise Lost is fanfic. Write that down. <laughs> that's, that's gold right oh, there. Man. That is gold. Well, we're done here. I, I, <laughs> I, I want to. I, I have a couple things I would like to say about the show, but I want you to tell everyone why I was right about the show because you resisted for so long. You were just like, "No, this is about Tessa and her comic books, and like Tom Ellis is just super pretty, and that's like why she watches it." Why was I right about this show? Well, we're running short on time, so I'll go ahead and say what I'm going to say, and then we'll finish up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe I ever said those things. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think that is apocryphal, speaking of biblical fanfic. <laughs> now we're really done. Uh, you know, I, I call this something else off, off mic, but Tom Ellis plays Lucifer with a really big energy. Like, like he lives to annoy other people. 
Like, like he just he the, the more he likes somebody, the more he is going to like annoy them and aggravate them. And that's me. That's that is my personality. So like what I really like about this show, what I like about all shows, uh, and there have been more and more of them over the past few years, is when you make a show about me, I really appreciate that. <laughs> I like that. I'm not saying I'm the devil. I'm just saying I just really appreciate that that energy. That and I I one of the other things I really enjoy is the daughter, Trixie, is like a seven year old, I think she's seven, eight year old. And she just sees right through him. She just she's able to say, You're see, you're a good person. And he's like, I'm the devil. And she's like, eh. you know, I, I just I really enjoy that. That's it. I mean, Tom Ellis really does make the show. Again, I never said he's super pretty and that's why you watch it and I don't. I I never said that. But like this is one of those shows where the lead is the most important part, and it doesn't work without that. Uh talk about like the good wife which was one of my favorite shows where I hated the lead, but I liked it because of everyone in the orbit. This is a show that has a really good lead. The other characters are good too, but Tom Ellis playing Lucifer is, is gold. Comedy, comedy gold. What do you think about how L.A. this show is? Because on this rewatch, because we've been watching it together, I've realized just how much this show engages with L.A. culture, especially like He's in therapy, like he owns a nightclub, like a lot of the murders are are about like L.A. culture and the way that like, you know, there is these oddities and eccentricities of being around all these people who are super rich. I'll tell you for sure, uh, L.A. procedurals, and I've seen a lot of procedurals, although I never watched Law and Order or NCIS. I will take an L.A. procedural over a New York procedural any day which shouldn't be a surprise to you. The Closer was a really good LA procedural where you get to, they dug in for several seasons on, uh, we were just talking about Kira Sedgwick yesterday, as a matter of fact, a lot of kind of quirkiness. And that's that's fun. I really do like the LA-ness of this show. It really just increases my desire to go to there. So, Well, and the fact that she's like an ex- actor yeah. who turned like police detective, I just think is, it, they keep milking that for laughs for sure. The other thing that I will say that I I appreciate about the show, because you mentioned the punishment thing, Lucifer in the show is very much portrayed as like that youngest kid who like wanted attention and kept acting up and like his dad is kind of abusive and threw him out of the house. Like, and so I, I think that's a really interesting way to approach this character. And that's something that's really developed a lot throughout the series, this idea that like he is working through these issues with his family um and i think a lot of the humor from the show comes from the fact that he doesn't lie like you said like he just he's he's very upfront like i'm lucifer morningstar i'm the devil and it's like nobody believes him because they just think he's insane or that you know he is talking in metaphors or whatever and it's just it's very very funny um from that point point of view do you recommend after all that clearly the answer is no i do not recommend that (laughs) at all yes and and the great thing about it is, is that we are recording this the day after new episodes have dropped. We're still very far away from that. We're about uh, close to the midway point in the second season, but I'm excited to watch it and keep watching it. And this fifth season, the back half of which I think, Netflix is weird, dropped yesterday and it was supposed to be the end, but it's not. They're going to do a whole nother season. Um, so it's really great. As as many shows get canceled before their time has come, this one got extended. 
surprisingly a couple of times. So it's the little show that could. It's a good time. All right, next week, Tessa revisits the Shondaverse with Station 19, and I'll be talking Bond. George Lazenby, that is. Colby, thank you so much for joining us and making the jump from guest to guest host. Where can people find you online? Where can they listen to you a little bit more regularly? Thank you for having me. Anytime. Don't need me to step in. Just let me know. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Colby Complains, probably making fun of the Clippers, uh, Never Mate Varsity. Uh, we're taking, like, we aren't doing every week because there's just not too much to talk about, but we're going to be back in full swing once college football season It's a little bit closer. Uh, and Martha and Colby Grow Up, which is a monthly podcast with my friend Martha, who has been on the show before, where we just talk about whatever we want to talk about. We probably just released an episode about music or that episode is coming out soon. So check it out. I just did an episode of Act Your Age. I think it was last weekend, maybe two weekends ago. What is time? <laughs> and uh, we, we, we uh, the Act Your Age crew and myself were talking about how much we enjoy recording with you. You're a delight. You're a pleasure to have in class. <laughs> Tessa, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. Actually, we took a we took a Shakespeare seminar together, Tessa and I did in grad school. I literally have on the final paper this very old Shakespeare professor wrote, You were a pleasure to have in class. <laughs> I'm like, it's a first. Somebody finally said it. I had to get here. <laughs> I had to get here. I've been in school for like over 20 years at this point. <laughs> Somebody likes me. Anyway. Finally. I know, right? It was the one. Find me on Twitter at save underscore Morris 9. Find Andy on Twitter at Andy Noted. Find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts about what we talked about today. Anything you'd like to see us talk about on future episodes. And anything else pop culture related. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.